Welcome to the Connecting Place podcast. Here is today's message. Awesome. Awesome. We thank Brandon and the band for that. Absolutely awesome. Well, good morning to all of you. It, still, some of you may not know me, and um, like I told them in the last service, somebody found me just kind of, you know, walking along down the street, and they said, aren't you a pastor? Haven't you pastored for several years? And I said, yeah. They said, you've been married for several years? I said, yeah. And they said, well, get on up here, and they throw me up here on the stage. They said, you're bound to have something good to say. So here I am. <laughs> Good morning, Believers Church. My name, as you probably heard, is Albert Crosby. And right in front of me is my beautiful wife, Allison. And we have three daughters to our marriage, 38 years of precious marriage. And our daughters is, La- uh, I'm sorry, Sonia, Lanice, and Trinity. And all three of them are in their early 30s. Well, we're going to be talking to you today about marriage. We're going to be talking about a godly marriage. And if you want to know what a godly marriage should look like, then we need to look to God and we need to look to his word. And I have one goal in this message. Well, I shouldn't say one goal, but one main goal in this message. And that is to brand in your heart this ideal, this thought, that great marriages... Excuse me. Great marriages don't just happen, but great marriages are made. And having said that, I can immediately think back, hearken back to when my wife and I got married. And on the first night, our honeymoon night, she says she wanted to go home to be with her mom. I'm like, be with your mom after all I've been through, sweating through the ceremony and everything else? I don't think so. You better think again. Well, that was our first wrinkle, okay? Marriage is full of a lot of wrinkles, and I call them wrinkles because they're just stuff that you can iron out. They're not major. But then sometimes we go through some major crisis. But I'm hoping that in today's message you will understand that if you're already married, God put you together. And just let me say this. I want to make myself abundantly clear on this. For those of you who may have already experienced a divorce, you're no more less loved of God than you were beforehand. So don't even let the enemy try to tell you that. But our job is constantly to present the word of God and to present the perfect will of God. You know, it's like a target. If you're trying to shoot the middle of it, chances are you'll hit the middle of it Uh, hopefully the majority of the time. But you can't just shoot all around it intentionally. You want to try to uh, hit the perfect spot. And so we're trying to hit the perfect spot by telling you what marriage should be about. But that is in no way to bring any kind of condemnation on anyone who has already been through a divorce. We know that God is with you, and God has great things in store for your future. Okay, now... Here's what I want you to know, first of all, about marriage, 
is that it is not just simply a good ideal. If it were a good ideal, then it would be like a good book or a good movie. Another good book could top it, or another good movie could top that movie. But marriage is more than just a good ideal. Marriage is a great ideal, and marriage is a God ideal. God instituted this whole thing called marriage, and he thought it up. It's his plan for our lives when we want to come in union with that person we're attracted to of the opposite sex. So think about this. When you're having little squabbles and things you're going through, don't let that bother you. That's supposed to happen. That's supposed to happen. You know, we act just like trouble ain't supposed to happen. My father told me once, he said, well, son, if you want to have some problems, this is the place to have them. Because when we get up there, there ain't none. Like, wow, <laughs> I was at a point in my life when I needed to hear that. But we act like if we're having troubles, it's time to run. No, you're just getting broke in. Marriage breaks you in. The longer you're together, you like good wine, you get better at time. Not only that, I like to compare it to a good baseball glove. The longer you have it and the better you break it in, the better the glove is. That's how marriage is. But if you let them little squabbles or semi-tough conflicts run you off, then you have no idea what you're losing. Now, let's go back and take a look at when marriage first started. It started at creation. As we go back to creation, I like for you to envision this. God creating this beautiful world. Now, we weren't there, but we see the glory of the sun every day, and we feel this marvelous warmth. We see the wonder of the stars at night and the majesty of the moon. We even see the incredible creatures on land and on sea. We see that great whale and the playful dolphin and that tall giraffe and that furry-coated bear and that blazing speed cheetah. All these things and so much more, time would fail us to talk about creation. But we're not here to talk about creation anyhow. We're just here to introduce it and say that on the eve of creation, on the end of creation, rather, at the apex, was God's creation of man. God formed Adam from the dust of the earth. Now, I like to think, as kids playing and making little sandcastles, sometimes they can get a little intricate with them sandcastles. I didn't never think this before, but I do believe it now, that God even made the little intricate parts of Adam before he made just the outer molding. Now, that's what I believe. Would I ever teach it as doctrine? Absolutely not. But that's what I believe. You say, well, what you got to back it up with? Well, I don't have anything to back it up with. But you ain't got nothing to back it down with either. I guarantee you that. <laughs> so he forms Adam, and then he takes him, and he places him in the Garden of Eden. And that's where we're going to pick up our text at in Genesis 2.15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now listen, young ladies, 
You know, sometimes guys, you know, they pride themselves on having what they call game. You know, they could talk, they got game. Listen, if dude ain't got a job, let him talk to the hand. Take some good advice from me, okay? I'm telling you, I'm a dude. I'm telling you how they try to be so cool. Let them talk to the hand if he ain't got a job. When he gets to talking about, yeah, baby this and baby that, and uh, let me get them digits. You say, you got a job? <laughs> say, Adam had a job before he had a wife. Did he not? Well, you know, we say that and we throw a little humor in there, but all at the same time, I'm extremely serious about that because that will later become a problem in your marriage. And that's what we're here to talk about, the marriage relationship. If you got someone in your life, you may think that you love them now, but if they don't have a good work ethic, that's going to be a huge problem. So I encourage you to uh, make sure you address that, first of all. Verse 18 tells us, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. When I read that passage, I sort of got the feeling that God was all done with this whole marvel of creation until I heard the following words in verse 22. And the Lord, I'm sorry, verse 18, let me read again. And the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It is not good that, it is not, and the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. It was at that time that I realized that God was getting ready to create something else. And I couldn't imagine just reading at that point what it would be. But we know it had to be something pretty awesome when you consider all that he had already done. Let's take a look at verse 18. Or verse 22, I'm sorry. And verse 22 says, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. Well, here's what God did. God took Adam, and he put him under divine anesthesia, and that's when he opened up his side, and he took a rib out of his side. And he took the rib, and he made the woman. I like to say it like this, men. God took something out of you, went and made it perfectly suitable for you, and then brought it back to you. Now, I don't know what you think, but I think that's pretty awesome that God did that for us. And also, in there, I want you to realize that marriage has taken place when this, when this occurs. And I also want it to be realized amongst the women your value. You are extremely, extremely valuable. I see women all the time. I talk to them, and I'm amazed at how they are so underrated. But God does like us when we buy presents for someone. We bring them to them, and we want to see their reaction, their response, because we've got them something we're sure that they're going to love. So God brings her to Adam, and in verse 23, it says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, with enthusiasm, church. And he says, Flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, 
because she was taken out of the man. Now listen, let, let me reintroduce you to woman. I say reintroduce because this culture has so degraded her until it's pathetic. Let me tell you who you're dealing with. First of all, her name is not woman. Woman is her gender. She is man. Just as Adam was man, so is she man, but she is man with a womb. God created someone so marvelous for Adam. But the difference was she was the feminine version. She was the one that Adam needed. She was the one that was suitable for compatibility. She was suitable for partnership. In the creative, resourceful mind of God, and for his man Adam, and for the ages to come, throughout all time, God thought about her, and he said she is absolutely essential. Now, we didn't hear those words, but we see those actions. That God brought her forth because she was absolutely essential. He would not sign off on creation project until she was on the scene. Now, that's how valuable you are, women. And if that's not enough, then I like to say this to help you understand your value. I like to refer you to the law, to the law of supply and demand. The law of supply and demand says, the short version, when demand is high, value is high. You were in high demand. By the time you got here, you were worth astronomical value. In the mind of God, you were actually worth astronomical value before you got here. So I want to encourage the women, know who you are. And then I want to say to the men, know who you have. She's to be treated special because she is special. There's nobody else like her. Know your value, women. There is no one that could have done as much for Adam and to Adam as you. You were made suitable for him. You're suitable for intellectual ex exchange. You're suitable for pleasure. You're suitable to share with him in sorrows and in joys. You're suitable to help him together procreate as the Lord has commanded us. And then I would like to take a look at Proverbs 18.22. I want to show you something else about what the word of God says about you. 18.22 says, Whoso findeth a wife. Whoso findeth a wife. Findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Here we place on her an appropriate name. She is God's Miss Good Thing. Ladies, I want you to put your hands on your hip when you leave her today. <laughs> and put this other hand up, and I want you to say, oh, I am God's Miss Good Thing. Matter of fact, you know what? You ought to try to do that about two or three times a day. Okay? Just say, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm God's Miss Good Thing. You're highly valued. You are God's crowning achievement in creation. 
listen, let me tell you this. I never seen this before. This is absolutely beautiful. You know how your tray could be brought out to you in a, uh, in a restaurant and it's garnished. Your beautiful plate is garnished. God in creation done all that he seen fit to do. Brought the woman to Adam, joined them together in holy matrimony. So when I sing that, I say, God, you mean to tell me all of these events and all the marvel of creation, you garnished it with a wedding. That's exactly what he done. And he didn't do anything else after that. He went and rest. The last thing he did was he wed these two together. I'm telling you, marriage is something very, very special. You know, I think that young couples should not even think about going into marriage until they understand the mystery of marriage. Some of these things that we are sharing with you today need to be understood because then you'll be able to go into marriage realizing that this is my companion for life. And that's the way God wants marriage approach. Now, that being said, I want to also share with you the woman's number one need. Her number one need is to be treasured. Now, some of you might think, well, I thought it was love. Well, yeah, we know it's love, but love is so general that just don't, that just don't give enough oomph for me. I don't think it gives enough clarity. But what about treasure? When you treasure her, you know, when you treasure something, you got a bank account and got a lot of money in it or whatever, stocks, bonds, whatever, you're going to be checking on that. That's your treasure. When that woman knows that she is your number one treasure, she's not second to your mother, second to your sister, but she's number one, and you treat her like you're placing her on a pedestal, that gives her the love and gives her the security that helps her to perform her best. She's in an environment now where she can be the woman that God created her to be. So that's a very important point that you remember to always treasure her. Now I want to share with you a verse in Ephesians 5.28. Now I apologize to you that I couldn't have this scripture make the screen. But just listen to me as I go through this verse because it's very important. It's actually central to the whole mystery of marriage and the revelation of this message. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. When I read that, I couldn't understand. I said, God, what are you talking about? Love my wife like my own body? I couldn't relate. It goes on to say, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. I still couldn't relate. Verse 29 says, for no man ever hateth his own flesh. Okay, I'm feeling you now. Okay. Yeah, I, I get you. No, nobody never hated their own flesh. But nourish it and cherish it. And I'm sure, talking to guys now, I'm sure when you came here, before you came here, you've done some nourishment to your body. I know by the time you leave, you're going to do some nourishment to your body. Because you love you. And you're going to take care of you. And if your belly says you're hungry 
Or if you just think you want something, like my dad, he would see commercials, you know. And if it was a commercial about the Dairy Queen, all of a sudden he won a Sunday. You know how that go. <laughs> but, but we're going to nourish ourselves. And God says, you will nourish your wife. Why? Because she comes from you. That's the mystery we don't understand. We just think it's somebody we've taken in to be a partner with us. But it's really more than that. Listen, guys, when we join in marriage, we're simply returning to true form. Yes, we get our rib back. Because she is the rib that came out of man. This is why this union of marriage is so special and sacred and was meant to be a lifelong commitment. But great marriages don't just happen. Great marriages are made. Now let me reintroduce to you the male. Genesis 2.24 is, is an excellent verse that helps us to understand him. It says, A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. I looked at that a second time and then a third time, and I was amazed to see the action in that, in that passage. The two action words were leave and cleave. And I tried to make at least one of those words be applied to the woman. But the more I looked at the verse, the more the verse told me, uh-uh, this applies to him. He's to do the leaving, and he's to do the cleaving. And then I understood we're to do the leaving and the cleaving because in our nature, God has made us to be initiators. We're the ones that usually approach that woman first because we're initiators. God made us that way. And sometimes the woman is not even interested in you. But as you continue to pursue her, I'm sure a lot of you have this story, because he continued to pursue you, you finally Gave him a little rhythm, okay? And that's usually how it happens. Because it's in us to initiate and to pursue. Because we got a rib out there somewhere that belongs to us. You know, that sounds cute, but it's more than cute. It's actually true. You and I, us men, don't have to lose a rib to get married. But Adam had to lose a rib so he could be the type for the rest of us throughout all ages that a rib was lost for her to be made. And when she was made, she was made for you. When I say you, of course, men, I'm talking about us. Isn't it interesting that innate intelligence tells you that you got a rib out there somewhere? And usually when you see it, you know, hmm, she's pretty. I want to talk to her. Because you're recognizing your rib. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody ever sent you to school for that. I'm amazed at that. 
Well, how do you know what to say to her? How do you know how to approach her? Believe me, he's going to find a way. Because innate intelligence on the inside of him tells him, you're an initiator. You have to make the first move. To that, I also say this. When we have problems in our marriage, a lot of times I think, man, the first place that we ought to look is us. Because we are the initiators. Here's how it happens. It happens this way in courtship, and it happens throughout the rest of the relationship. We provide the stimuli, and the woman becomes responsive. She don't think about being responsive. I'm not saying she don't have any thoughts at all. I'm just saying it's so natural for her to be responsive. But she can only be responsive when the proper stimuli is given. Excuse me. So we provide the stimuli, and then she, she becomes responsive. I like to say this. If you give her a house, she'll turn it into a home. If you give her a seed, she'll give you a child. Listen to this, similar to the other statement I made. God took a part of me out of me so that I would forever long for that part of me. That's the mystery of marriage. That's the miracle of marriage. That's what God did. He laid Adam down under divine anesthesia, took a rib out of his side, and made a woman. So, in our initiating role, and through innate intelligence, we automatically know we got a rib missing. And you will forever long for that rib until you find it. Let's look at Genesis 2, verse 19. Understanding a little more about the man. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them, to see what he would call them, to see what he would call them, to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Now listen to me. In the words of my mama, you be talking to my mama and it sounds like you're challenging her a little bit. And uh, she said, boy, you exchanging words with me? You swapping words with me? <laughs> Notice, God didn't swap words with Adam. God was the authority. He was the elder. He could have, by right, swapped words with Adam and opinion and told him, I don't like how you named that animal. I think you shouldn't have named them this. But notice God said nothing to him. He just watched him. And whatever he named the animal, that's what it was. What am I trying to say to you? A lot of times, women, a lot of times you discourage the man because you don't let him operate in his role as the initiator and as the man who was built for leadership and built for responsibility. Let him operate in that role. Some of you say, well, he's just kind of slow at doing what I want him to do. Just love on him. And honor him. He's actually built for it, whether you know it or not. 
He will perform in that role when you respect him as such. But let me, let me give you three other things I want you to know about man. I call these things three drivers that every man has. One of them is vision. Now, when I say vision, I know all the spiritual people are thinking about the man has a spiritual vision. Well, he does, and he, he should. But when I say he's vision motivated, I ain't talking about no spiritual vision, okay? I'm talking about he likes what he sees. Now, some of y'all might think, oh, how awful. It's not awful. God made him that way. I don't even have time to explain it all to you. It's actually quite beautiful. God made him that way to be motivated by vision. Some of you sitting there that are married, wives are sitting next to your husband. You're sitting there next to him because one day he's seen you and he was motivated towards you. He was attracted to you and he was motivated towards you. He didn't try to find out some data about you first to see if he's going to be interested in you. The very first spark was, was he attracted to you? And then after that, you got to know one another. So this guy is vision motivated. You need to understand that. Well, why is that so important? It's important because that trait is going to go with him into the marriage. He's going to always be vision motivated. I like to put it like this. When you go to a restaurant, they give you a menu, right? So you could see what they have to offer. Women, wives, oh, let me clarify that. Wives, let the brother see the menu. Let the brother see the menu. If I ain't getting a response, that means y'all ain't getting it. And if you ain't getting that, that is crucial. Every point that I make is crucial in the marriage. Because if he can't see the menu, then he's not getting his need met as a man. That's one of his needs. The other one is, another drive, is that he has high testosterone levels. Well, actually, the high testosterone levels give him more hair on his body, give him a deeper tone of voice, and, and a whole lot of other things. But, in addition, it makes him have a high drive so that he, with you, would procreate. Now, that is the ultimate, the ultimate intention of God, is that you would procreate. But even before you get to the ultimate, God allows you to enjoy what that high testosterone drive leads to in the marriage. That's the joy that he gives you. But the intention is to reproduce. The other driver you need to understand is his ego. Man has a tremendous ego. And let me just say this readily. Well, let me read 1 Corinthians first. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 7. For man is God's glory, made in God's own image. But the woman is the glory of man. Glory defined means like a show-off piece. You're his show-off piece. He's so proud to have you sitting beside him, he don't know what to do. You know, sometimes we don't talk a lot, right? So we don't always tell you, but deep down inside, 
We're just as proud as can be to have you sitting beside us or riding with us in the car. That's pride to us because it strokes our ego. You know, it's been said that men are like dogs. I agree. Men are like dogs. But let me explain. My wife and I went out to the dam, as we occasionally do, having an ice cream cone, just sitting there by the water. And a couple drove up, and they got their dog out, and they had a couple toys, and they threw it out in the water. And the dog went out to get it and came back, dropped it on the ground, shook itself off, waited for them to stroke him, send him, throw another one back out and send him back out. And when I seen that, the Holy Spirit said to me, that's the man. He's just like a dog. He's loyal. He aims to please. He's a protector. He'll do anything you want. And you know what the sad part about it is? Most women don't even know that. I'm telling you, even if your man is not performing to that level where you're seeing a lot of loyalty, a lot of protection, especially him aiming to please you, it's because you are not pushing the right button. Remember, he has a large ego, so he is performance-orientated. You have to give a man something to do. A story was told about this woman who had to go to a banquet, and it was on a Friday, and she asked her husband earlier in the week if he would go with her to shop. Well, he never goes shopping with her. Imagine that. <laughs> so she goes to him. She got this newfound knowledge, so she goes to him, and she says, um, Honey, I was just thinking. I got to go to this banquet, and I need you to help me pick out a dress. You always have such a good eye, and you have a great opinion about what looks good on me. He says, sure, when you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> if you think I'm trying to amuse you, I'm not. I'm hoping that you get amused, but you know what? I'm giving you actual points. I'm begging that you take them. You know, as ministers, when we get up here, we don't just get up here and try to be popular. At home, we pray. We pray, Lord, let the words penetrate into their hearts. Because you know what? I don't know who I'm talking to. I may be talking to somebody who's right on the verge of considering divorce. I'm telling you, you got too much to lose. It was never God's intention. Let me share this with you. In closing, okay, if you want to have a successful marriage, well, I'm sorry, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention about the man, his number one need is to be honored. Sarah called Abraham Lord. Now, that being said, I want to close with this. To have a successful marriage, it's not going to just happen. It's not going to just happen. You have to make it. And all successful marriages, the partners learn how to adopt values and resolve conflict. 
Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. If you've been married any length of time, you have kept some records of wrong. And when you do that, like the song says, ships in the night, that's what you'll be like. It says that the lyrics in that song talks about keeping record. It's not worth it. Your marriage is worth more than just you being right. Love is not self-seeking. So what you have to do is you have to learn to adopt your partner's values. If your wife likes something tremendously, then adopt that value. Well, I don't like it. It don't matter. She likes it. Did you do it when you were courting? Well, yeah. Well, you got to do it now, too. The other thing is resolving conflict. I'll close with this. When you want to resolve conflict, change what you can change. The only thing you can change is you. I remember my wife and I shared a closet together. And my wife is a do person. She's a get up and do. You talk about the early, uh, um, how's that go, the bird, the early bird gets the worm. Y'all know how it go. That's her. Okay? She's a doer. Well, our closet was a mess all the time. I'm an organizer. So I'd look in the closet, I'd see it a mess, and I'd just say, oh my God, honey, please, when are you going to ever get this closet together? And in my mind, I'm thinking, you're just going to have to mature and grow up and learn how to get this together. What I failed to realize is she's different than me. It ain't a matter of growing up. She ain't got time to fix no closet because she's doing 101 things for you, the kids, and everybody else. But when I came to realize that, I changed the one thing I could change. I changed me. I'm challenging you couples. If you're irritated by something and agitated by something, change what you can. Change you. You know what? That was an old happy day when I got them clothes out of that closet because I realized in my study next door there was a closet not even being used. Duh. I could have been did that. I got them clothes and I made a mass exodus. And it was a happy day. <laughs> and I said to myself, if I don't want to, I don't never, ever, ever again in life have to look in that closet again. But I resolved conflict. And it was really so simple. But we're just so determined that we're going to change somebody. Let me read this to you and then I'm going to close. All of us have heard someone say, we may have even said it ourselves, I'm going to change them if it's the last thing I do. This idea that we're going to change our spouse is erroneous and extremely selfish. The person you entered into the marriage union with is human and imperfect just like you. But in a godly marriage, you have a lifelong joyous opportunity to share and to grow even grow up together. That's what marriage is intended for. It's not intended for you to run off and leave at the first 
a slight crisis or even major crisis, God will see you through. And you'll be just like that good old glove, man. We used to play baseball, man. The more you throw that ball, man, the more you work it in. Haven't you seen older couples, what they look like? I ain't never seen an older couple together for 40, 50 years, and they're just looking all miserable. They always look happy, don't they? Because marriage is just like good wine. It keeps getting better with time. But a great marriage won't just happen. A great marriage has to be made. Let us bow our heads. Father, we want to pray first for those who may be dealing with some pain or bitterness of the past that hasn't been completely healed yet. We ask, Lord, that you, by the Holy Spirit, would now move into their hearts, even into their minds, Lord, and begin to do a work. Set them free from some of the bitter pain of the past. Give them hope for joy and a future. We ask that in Jesus' name. Now, while heads are still bowed, I want to introduce Christ to whomever may have never accepted him. You can determine where you're going, whether you're going to heaven or to hell. You can make that choice right now. God don't need you to be perfect. He don't need you to be nothing. He just needs you to pick up the free gift that he gave to you. And so we're going to all say this prayer, all of us. Those of you that want to accept Christ, but even those of us whom have already accepted Christ, we're going to say this prayer together. Let us begin. Father God, thank you for sending Christ. Letting him go to the cross to pay a debt that I couldn't pay. That my sins might be forgiven. Lord Jesus, I accept you now as my Lord and Savior. And I declare that I'm a child of God. I'm in the family of God. And I'll serve you all the days of my life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Connecting Place podcast. For more information about Believer's Church, visit believers.cc.